Thought Leadership from PwC's National Office Studios. The earlier you can put a plan in place to make sure that you understand the requirements, even if it's before a transaction, you know, the better off you're going to be. And the more that a company can be ready to show you have a plan or you've done an assessment, and you have a pathway to be public, the more attractive a target you're going to be. That's Edgesitis, a partner in PwC's advisory practice focusing on deals. This is Heather Horn, and thanks for joining me for the next episode of our Forecast 2021 podcast miniseries. A few months ago, we took a look at some of the trends reshaping the M&A space, and today we're back talking about the deals market, but this time looking at some of the operational challenges of going public. From the offering stage to the readiness of actually being public, we'll cover important considerations, innovations in reporting systems, and the additional options now available for going public. The market's always changing. That's why we hope today's show will make being prepared to go public a little smoother for finance teams. So Ed, thank you so much for joining me today. Looking forward to talking a little bit more about the deals market, which is something that we've done some recent podcasts on. But in particular, I know one of the things we've talked about is the fact there are operational challenges for CFOs and controllers in all different types of deals. So looking forward to learning from you, how you're helping those clients and really what companies can do to make the whole process a little smoother. But perhaps to kick things off today, why don't we start off with, can you just give us a little background about what types of transactions you're seeing right now? And then how do you help those different types of companies? Sure. Thanks, Heather. I'm really uh, excited to, to talk about this with you today. Yeah, there's a number of ways that a company might become a publicly traded company. And that's really kind of some of our major focus uh, currently. One is the traditional IPO that we all know it's been around for the past hundred years, where a company gets listed on an exchange via a registration statement, the roadshow, really the typical process that's really been the, the primary vehicle to go public, you know, in the public markets. Uh, more recently, and what I know has had a a higher visibility is this whole idea of the merger with a special purpose acquisition company or the SPACs that you've been talking about in a couple of previous podcasts. Um, it's really a merger of a private company with an already public SPAC and they go public in that way. Another way we're seeing a lot of these days is a public spin where a public company divests from one of its existing business units via shareholder distribution of shares that become a public company that's distributed to the public, to the existing shareholders. More recently, we're also seeing a trend of companies divesting business units instead of as a public spin, directly selling off into a SPAC. And a fourth, and this is relatively kind of new and, and growing, is this idea of a direct listing. It's kind of more of a for a select type of company, but it's a process by which you know it's a slightly different path to get to a public company in terms of how you actually market and raise the ca- and market the shares. But at the end, you still have all the requirements of a public company. Okay, so Ed, I know we'll get a little more into each of these, but we've talked about this a bit in the past. But I think it would be helpful just to compare and contrast the difference between this traditional IPO and the SPAC. So what would you highlight as the key differences? Yeah, a traditional IPO is a pretty lengthy process by which um, a company needs to file a registration statement. And that involves gathering a lot of financial information, historical and pro forma, get audited, and fill out a number of the other sections, such as risk factors, liquidity, et cetera. It's a very prolonged process to, to put that together. And after the registration statement is completed, the company needs to go through a marketing process. They'll go on a roadshow and, and drum up interest. And eventually that will lead to the public offering eventually becoming effective and that the company will be public. 
The difference with a SPAC is that a SPAC is already a public company, even though it doesn't have operations. These are often called blank check companies. The SPAC is set up to acquire a company, usually within two years is a bit of a time limit, um, to find a target by which to acquire that target and go public. So there's a lot of pressure on that kind of transaction for the SPAC to find the right target and then execute on the transaction before the two years is out. A little bit of the difference there too is that a SPAC really is acquiring a company. It's not necessarily an IPO because a SPAC is public. It really has to go through the full diligence process to look at the company, you know, identify the company, diligence the target, and then still acquire all the shareholder approvals for an acquisition. And then once that happens, the company will de-SPAC and then the combined company will be a public company. So then, Ed, in the context of this conversation, when we're talking about let's just say readiness, we're really focused on readiness from the perspective of a target of a SPAC company. Is that right? That's correct. The target of a SPAC company is going to be a private company, and it really needs to get ready very quickly to be a public company after the SPAC acquires them. So that is really the focus on what we're looking at. The SPAC itself doesn't have operations. It is a blank check company. So we're really looking at what do we need to do to that target company to be ready? All right. So if I'm that private company, I could either do a traditional IPO or potentially be acquired in a SPAC. Now you've mentioned timing a couple of times. So when we think about timing, you said a regular IPO can be lengthy. You said this could be accelerated for a SPAC. So what do we mean when we say accelerated? Yeah. Historically, we've seen a traditional IPO being about an 18 to 24 month process from the time you decide you want to go public to the time you actually become a public company. This gives the company a good amount of time to prepare. Recently, we've seen a a very hot IPO market, and there's been a lot of companies that have wanted to go public. So there's been a compressed time frame to maybe half of that range where companies need to prepare very quickly in order to take advantage of the market conditions. That time spent in two different processes. One is the going public process, which is the readiness for the actual filing, the actual registration statement, and everything that goes along with actually becoming a public company. And the second part of it is the being public, which is a matter of considering what are your requirements after being public for financial statement requirements and public operation, and what do you need to do in that time to be ready by the time day one comes along in order to be public. So usually as we think about that process, that tends to be an 18 to 24-month process to make sure you know, not only you do all the going public process, which includes the roadshow, et cetera, but also that you're ready to be public to come day one, you're really effective. With a SPAC, the timing tends to be a little more compressed. As I've mentioned, a SPAC has a two-year time frame, and sometimes it might be a year or more when they're actually out there identifying a target. So that doesn't leave a lot of time on the back end to complete the transaction. So what we're usually seeing is once an actual transaction is identified, there's usually about a four to six-month process in order for the SPAC transaction to be completed and become public. And in that time, very similar, there's the going public considerations where financial statements need to be filed with the right amount of historical periods as well as being audited, but also that accelerated focus on being public. We're looking at a private company that might not have complied with public reporting requirements before, and we only have that period four to six months to make sure we're ready. All right. So very fast. So I know we're going to get into some of the tips for how you get ready to do this faster, but let's talk about a few more types of transactions before we do that. And then we'll look at all of them together. So you mentioned at the very beginning as well as spins. And I know a spin in theory, you know, you're, you were part of a public company, but now you're a standalone reporter. So how does that fit into this conversation? Yeah. It's, it's very similar in terms of the planning and the execution in terms of both the, going public and being public. 
as you'd mentioned, Heather, this is really a transaction where a public company is really splitting into two, and the you know the shareholders at the end will have shares in two public companies. So there is a, still a focus on the going public. There's a, a form ten that needs to be filed with all of the the registration statement type data that's going to be required. But really, what's very complex on the spin is the being public because you're really looking at a company that has a lot of probably common finance processes. Finance tends to be one of those processes that's common across business units, maybe less so than, say, manufacturing or operations. So in order to be ready to be public and be separated, there's a really lengthy process to make sure that you understand where the entanglements are and what the plan is to make sure that the two companies can operate separately at the time of day one. And when we see when we think about timing from that perspective, that can similarly be kind of nine to twelve months of planning, then nine to twelve months of execution. So it can also be about a two-year process. And similarly, spins have become, you know, over the past year or two, I've been involved in a lot of spins. And I think it's an important trend because companies really are looking at their portfolio and saying, what's important to me? Where do I want my growth to be? Are there areas that really make sense to to have, you know, a separate focus, to be its own public company so it's not kind of in our shadow or kind of prior or deprioritized compared to what we need to do. Then one last question sort of setting the stage is I know from talking to you in some cases we can be dealing with sort of multiple transactions. And and what do you mean when you say that? With the multiple transaction, we're we're seeing this a lot with SPACs, where in addition to a SPAC acquiring a single pub a single private company, they're looking at multiple other targets and using a private investment and public equity vehicle, there's funding to make additional acquisitions at the time the SPAC is merging with the primary target. The complexity there is not only do you have a company that needs to go from being a private filer to a public filer, but you're also going to be in the midst of doing a finance integration because you know come that first quarter, not only are you publicly uh, reporting on your results, but you're going to need to consolidate and do purchase accounting and everything you'd need to for a for an acquisition. So all of a sudden, a private company can go from doing its own accounting to all of a sudden having to do a complex consolidation and deal with a lot of complex accounting issues in a very compressed time frame in order to file that first 10Q. All right. So if I wasn't already concerned about doing all this work, you, you've definitely gotten me with that one. So I then before we get into some of the details about how to do this, I have a broad question. My own experience dealing with companies going public through traditional IPOs, there's this whole sense of building up to the IPO, huge, enormous amount of work, sigh of relief, and then suddenly realizing you have to do this ongoing reporting and maybe you're not ready. But from your perspective, having seen lots of these transactions, which part is actually harder, would you say, getting ready or the being public portion? They do have their own challenges. And I think a company has to balance both of them in in all of these types of transactions because you know finance, in addition to having its day job, has to do all this. And there's competing priorities to make sure that we can get all the filings ready, but also to make sure that come that first quarter, we're able to file the 10Q and do an MDNA, which we may never have done, or have to deal with you know earnings per share calculations real time. It really is a matter of focus. You know, when the when the transaction's just starting, there's a real focus typically on making sure we can get the numbers to make sure we can get everything we can in the S1 or the Form 10. And that can be a lot of effort. But really in parallel, if if you wait until the end to say, okay, now that we're done with that, now we've got to flip over and make sure we can be public. There's often a real-time compression. And if it's a matter of if there's projects you need on the IT side for separation or for improvement to make sure you can do proper accounting for revenue recognition or lease accounting. 
if you haven't thought about that kind of going throughout the project, you might be in a bad spot when you actually go public. So I'd say both are very important. And I think a lot of people see that initial filing portion, the going public part as the mountain to climb. As an operating focused person, I think about, okay, what happens Q1, Q2, Q3? There is no room to breathe. And you, if you have neglected thinking about getting that ready, you really might have a bad couple of quarters in terms of your quality of life. So let's again think I could be in any one of these transactions. And no matter what my timeline is, it's probably hard to focus on the future and what I'm going to need to do once I am public. How do you talk to companies and get them to realize you can't just focus on the here and now, maybe particularly if you're a target for a SPAC, but really in any of these scenarios? When we talk to them, we really do bring our experience here because like you say, there does tend to be a focus on let's make sure we have the filing ready. You know, we as an advisory practice will we'll go out you know, with our capital markets team and make sure that as we set up this project, it really is about putting a project together that's not just focused on the filing, but putting it all together. Doing a gap assessment, I think, is really key. And this is what I see with all my clients. You, you go function by function and you realize, oh, it's going to be tough to file with this timing. Oh, we're not going to be able to gather this kind of information easily. You know, doing that up front while people are thinking about what are our historical requirements and how do we get audits done, but really talking to the CFO up front, thinking about this as a single project. It's really an overall project, whether it's a divestiture or whether it's a SPAC or if it's a, a regular traditional IPO, putting it all together and making sure they understand this is everything you need to do to be a public company and understanding those gaps and knowing we need to fill those gaps somehow is absolutely key. And that's what we we do up front to make sure when you're considering these transactions, you're thinking all the way through all your requirements. So if I'm a CFO and I'm excited about this, I need to take a big step back and say, wait, there's a lot involved here. So if I'm in that situation, what's the number one problem you see people grappling with? Number one really gets back to resources. Typically, and, and Heather, I don't know if this is your experience, when I deal with finance functions, they're already fairly thinly staffed. There's not a big bench waiting for projects. And now, in addition to doing your day job, you have the going and the being public preparation process. The idea of being able to like look at your staff, understand what they're doing today and what they're going to have to do over the next whether it's three months or 22 months, 24 months that we talked about, really laying that out and understanding, A, do I have the bandwidth is absolutely key. Along with that is really the skill sets. You know, if you're going, especially if you're going from being a private to a public company, you have new requirements. You need people who understand SEC filing requirements, some of the new technical accounting requirements. You might not have anyone on staff who understands how to calculate the denominator for EPS. You know, that might be a new skill. So thinking about all those requirements and what your gaps are, and then have a hiring plan to get there is absolutely key. And I think we know right now, the market for finance folks from what I've seen is very hot. And it's really difficult to get people very quickly. You know, it could be two, three, four months before you identify and onboard a good candidate. And if you're in the midst of a SPAC transaction, that really might be halfway through your transaction. So I recommend that the sooner you can really put a resource requirement together, understand what needs to be done and what your skill gaps are, that's going to be absolutely critical to your success. Well, and I sort of laughed when you said that, you know, people being busy in finance, because I was thinking of my years of being an audit partner. I can't think of a single client that was just waiting for an IPO to be dropped on them, whether in any of these formats. So I think hiring is good advice. Now, let's say, again, this just got dropped in your lap, no matter what your timeline is. Hiring is one thing, but how do you see CFOs 
best figuring out what skills it is that they really need to supplement their existing organization. Yeah, it really becomes a person-by-person analysis. You start with the best practice of what a finance function needs to look like as a public company. And there's certain things that you're probably naturally not even going to have as a private company. I think about potentially internal audit. You know, private companies may not have the most robust internal audit and control environment. Uh, investor relations. Typically, you know, in a private company, FP&A might take that kind of role to do investor communications to a private community. So there's some pretty immediate needs and kind of what I'd call almost obvious gaps to say, here's some people we really need early in the process to make sure they're supporting. As for the rest of the company, it really becomes... You know, when you think about controllership and FP&A, you know, it's really assessing their experience and their skills. In a lot of cases, you might have folks who have done this before. But if you have a team where there's no one with public experience, I think about this, especially in the controllership. If no one's done done a consolidation and gone through a 10K, 10Q, MD&A type process, that's probably something you want to bolster because it's hard to learn on the job and be really efficient in those first couple of quarters. And it's a little risky. So really getting, assessing those kind of person by person and understanding what that public company needs is absolutely critical. And how do you see companies in those situations thinking about the short-term need versus the long-term gap and whether I hire, I get temporary people? I mean, again, I know it's all situation specific, but clearly a huge question. And I see companies doing both. And as we think about an IPO readiness The difference between that and, say, a SPAC transaction, with IPO readiness, when you have that runway, you can get closer to your ideal state from a process perspective. You can look at your systems, and if you have a a a one-and-a-half to two-year runway, you have a really good opportunity to improve those systems. When you look at your, your staffing, you're able to look at that objectively and say, hey, over the next six months, nine months, we can hire. It becomes a little more difficult in a, in a SPAC position. As I said, you know, the timing's going to be compressed. And that's where we do see there are a lot of folks who really need to get good enough to be public. Really, there, there's an absolute requirement. Like when you have you have to file, you have to you know do the proper SEC level accounting and follow all the, you know, all the requirements. And in order to do that, if you're not able to staff up, it'd be ideal to hire these folks on. But when you're on that compressed time frame, relying on extra resources becomes fairly common. I will say, you know, usually with an IPO, for instance, you know, in terms of closing the books and going through, you know, a close, this really is the key process. You know, with an IPO readiness, we usually suggest kind of have one to two quarters where you've gone through the whole thing. So, you know, you're ready. That's not always possible in a SPAC. And that's where it's really important to make sure you understand what that, that must have looks like as of day one, and you're ready to fulfill all of that. And then beyond that, you really think about what are the the longer term desires and vision for the finance function that we will grow into now that we're able to at least get our requirements done and be comfortable in that? How do we improve for the future so we're more efficient at it? So Ed, a related question, how does project management fit in? And maybe asked a different way, what do you see as best practices from a project management perspective? Yeah, I'd say two things on this. One is having a project management office that focuses overall on everything is absolutely key. There's going to be competing priorities. There's going to be a lot of data requests. You know, there's going to be things that need addressing immediately, new issues that pop up, dependencies that are being missed. And making sure that you have a project manager who's really dedicated full-time to this. I mean, this is what we see in about half of our, our deals 
it's a real success factor. I have someone who's really fully dedicated in finance to making sure this all happens because it really is going to be a full-time job for a period of time. But making sure that person has a vision over everything, understanding the going public process as well as the being public, because there's going to be times where we're going to have to prioritize. And if you have two different competing teams on that without that kind of overall coordination, there's there's going to be the possibility that the wrong thing gets focused on because one team may be you know, louder or is, or is able to pull information more quickly than the other team. So having single leadership over this is really a key success element to make sure that, uh, that it all goes well. And I'd say also just an overall, the reporting cadence, that goes along with having a dedicated uh, project manager, making sure that you have all the sub teams really reporting up that are working to a project plan and they can report overall to management to say, According to our overall project plan, here's where we are in terms of being ready and going ready and making sure that that is regularly, usually on a weekly basis, updated and really being managed. Like really managing this as a process, both going and being not separately is going to be key. And having those kind of dedicated resources doing that are a success factor. So then to that point, if you think about these different processes or potentially process teams, what are sort of the key process points that you would focus on maybe starting with reporting? And then what else are you thinking about? Yeah, reporting really is the absolute critical one because that is the the immediate focus, right? I mean, you're going to have in a normal case, you, know, you have 40 days to file your 10Q and everything that goes along with that, including a script to the... Um, you know, for the investor relations, you know, what, you know, what's actually being said on the earnings calls and everything that goes along, along with the filing. So, you know, that's an absolute must have for being public. I'd say after that comes controls is a favorite topic for a lot of CFOs and controllers and really understanding what your path is going to be to fulfill controls and especially Sarbanes-Oxley is going to be absolutely key. Um, I think about Sarbanes is really split into, into two different, um, two different requirements. One is an absolute requirement that kicks in the first quarter of reporting, the section 302. So, you know, companies need to be ready to make sure that they can do those 302 certifications come the first quarter. Now, the more onerous requirement is on the uh, section 404, which is going to be the certification of the effectiveness of internal controls. Now, in a typical IPO, and this is this is interesting because this will this is where things um can start to differ between an IPO and a SPAC. In a typical IPO, you have the ability to wait for your second 10K to do that full certification. You're exempt in your first 10K filing. So you you have a bit of a runway. Now, part of this needs to be the project. Assess up front to understand where we are today and where we need to be for SOX once we actually need to certify on, uh, on Section 404. Now, with a SPAC, you might not have that kind of time. As we mentioned, a SPAC is already public, so they filed the 10K. And depending on some some of the timing on the transaction, you might not have a one-year delay that some companies usually have when you acquire a company or you, you're able to defer on your first 10K on that 404 certification. With a SPAC, that's not always available. So depending on the timing, you might only have a quarter or two to get ready for SOX. And that's one of those areas where with every SPAC I've done, we've made sure that we have someone up front both legal and from like a, the auditor perspective, right? To understand, okay, what are our requirements? What are the timing? Can we get relief? And if not, what's our plan to try and get this happen on a, on a rapid timeline? Because we all know it would, it, implementing SOX can be a 12 to 18 month process at the inside. And if you're talking about a couple of quarters, it's going to be a real challenge and we're going to have to figure out how to do that. And that's where we bring in legal, the auditor, and folks who are really focused on controls. 
And then maybe related question, how does technology fit into this conversation? Yeah, technology is, you know, increasingly important in finance, right? I mean, yeah, this is the, the continued digitization has been one of those trends we've been seeing for the past five years. And as we think about an effective operating public company, that becomes really key to make sure that we have a, a solid technology platform where, you know, we can base our reporting, do deeper analysis, and be efficient as a company as well. Because the more the more we can automate and more we can get into the system, the more efficient we can be. And I think about the couple of transactions here, it, it differs a little bit. With an IPO, as I mentioned, we probably have a little a little extra time if we're thinking about a more traditional IPO process to make sure that if we're looking at a gap with a with a best practice operating public company, you know, we, we if we have a one and a half to two year time frame, we can probably get a lot of technology projects done in order to be ready for the IPO. With a SPAC, we might not have that kind of time. If we think about three to six months in a technology project timeline, that's not a lot of time to to actually get something accomplished. So really, you know, what we see there is there might be the longer term system implementation. There might be say, yeah, once we hit go public, you know, we'll, we'll think about how do we really kind of enhance and improve our systems. But in the meantime, there's still things that we can do from a technology perspective to make sure we can fulfill our reporting requirements. We're seeing a lot more um, kind of RPA. There's shorter term solutions where we can influence uh, uh, technology to make sure we can automate or use bots to accomplish some of these things that we might not have had to have done or potentially have just done manually. So, you know, the ability to to use RPA and also to enhance what we can very quickly on our native reporting tools. And, you know, I see a lot of putting in some additional digital enhancers to make sure that we can do some of the reporting a little more quickly in the short term before we have the longer term, the longer term enhancements. And then finally, in the short term, we need to make sure that we have people who know how to you know use the macros and make sure that it's well controlled so that because that's going to be part of our reporting infrastructure for some period of time that we're doing that effectively. And if I could, and if I could just uh, talk to spins for a second, thinking about that as a transaction, that is absolutely one of the longest lead time items and the biggest decision in a spin. As we had mentioned, in most companies, you're on a single accounting transaction platform. You're on a single ERP, single reporting platform. And if you need to spin, you need to be thinking about what does my future environment look like? And that could range from either the new company clones the old environment completely and they basically become two separate operating systems. Or you might use some system logic to essentially still have a single system, but have divisions within that separate the data, separate access. So it almost operates as two different companies, even though it's in the same box. Both of those take an enormous amount of planning and and are costly. So as companies are considering a spin, you know, the number one in yeah, the number one success factor here really is a matter of what are we doing from a system perspective? And especially that needs to be in place at day one. So that's one of the reasons sometimes that spin might be kind of a 12 months out because you need to do something with your systems to make sure that you can operate as two separate companies. So Ed, this is a daunting list of things to do. And it's even more than I remembered, again, from when I had been involved in this before. Do you see companies actually anticipating even before there's a true, you know, a known transaction on the table? Or are you mostly seeing companies, something gets dropped in the CFO's lap, and then they're scrambling to play catch up or some combination of both? Yeah, it's a combination. The earlier you can put a plan in place to make sure that you understand the requirements, 
even if it's before a transaction, you know, the better off you're going to be. What we're seeing, like you say, with a SPAC right now, kind of a four to six months is not a long time to get ready. A lot of companies that are anticipating, I'm seeing this now, anticipating that there might be a SPAC in their future, they're starting to do that planning now before they become a target. As I'd mentioned, a SPAC is going to do its due diligence and look at companies, not just from a financial perspective, but from a readiness perspective. And the more that a company can be ready to show you have a plan or you've done an assessment and you have a pathway to be public, the more attractive a target you're going to be. So I've seen both. I clearly recommend the latter in terms of thinking through before there's even a transaction on the table. And I'd say on a spin, on the spin perspective, you almost need to, before you even go out to market saying we're going to spin, you actually need a pretty good plan in place because if you announce there's some timing and you're going to do the spin, yet there's some technology or process issue that comes up and it's going to be really hard to separate, that might affect how quickly you can get out to market. If you don't have that kind of insight before the announcement, that can look really bad on the market. So Ed, as you're counseling companies and talking to CFOs, whether they're already in a transaction or thinking about it, anything else that you would highlight? Yeah. As we've talked here, we've really focused the conversation from the perspective of finance, the CFO and the controller. Yeah. It's worth noting that you know, other stakeholders are going to have their own considerations. You know, think about you know, the investors and other parts of the leadership in the company itself. And what they consider important might be a little different from what finance is uh, considering important. I've always had the perspective that, you know, as finance, we never want to be the factor that delays or kills a deal uh, because we do want to support the company's overall strategy and goals. So despite whatever challenges this process is going to bring to finance, and there are many, as you said, Heather, um, you know, finance will always be there to support what's right for the company. All right, great. And then maybe to wrap things up, if you had a crystal ball and you were looking ahead into the future, let's go out of maybe two to three-ish years. What do you think we'd be talking about then? Same topics or something new? Probably something new. The market's always changing and innovating and with interest in investing ever increasing, um, I think the innovation is going to accelerate. We've talked already a little bit about the idea of the direct listings being an alternate path to becoming public. But we also know that with continued uh, digital innovation, new opportunities are going to arise. Uh, There's companies right now that are looking to, quote unquote, democratize IPOs, platforms like Robinhood you've heard about, that have talked about using their platform to get IPO shares to their customers outside that typical investment banking route. From a readiness side, not just the offering, as we see that continued digitization in finance and improvement. You know, I like to think that it's going to be easier for companies to be public in the future. As we start thinking about, you know, having better systems and better access to data and visibility into results in a company, and that's private or public because of the improvement in in finance systems and underlying uh, reporting systems, hopefully that'll make things easier. Again, right now, it might be really tough for a, a private company to close the books quick enough and do all the analysis it needs to. But with that technology, I do hope that over the next three years, as that continues and companies move towards best practice, whether they're public or not, that I think that's going to be something that helps the being public uh, process. But you know, whatever does come, we're, we'll be here to help them get ready. I really like uh, your point at the end that, you know, kind of no matter what, it makes sense to be ready and really appreciate all the insight today. And thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Heather. That does it for today. If you're still hungry for more on what's happening in the deal space, check out the podcast I mentioned at the top of the show from ESG to SPACs, The New Deals Landscape. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast. 
And of course, join me back here every Tuesday and Thursday for new podcast episodes so that you never miss an episode of any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast Series wherever you listen to your podcast. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. From PwC's National Office Studios, I'm Heather Horn. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.